Welcome to another edition of the Hit the Lights podcast. I have a, a special guest with me today. I have a Mr. Thomas Bickerton. How are we? Very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Thank you. Obviously, thank you very much for giving up some of your time today and coming on the podcast. So my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, so obviously, probably to kick us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came into the industry? Um, well, it's a bit of a weird setup, really, in the sense of um, I've been an electrician since 2008 when I started my apprenticeship. Um, so I've not been in the industry too long. Um, so the way I came into it was um, I started off working um, before that um, teaching water sports um, to uh, kids with learning disabilities and stuff like that. And I was looking at my pay slip every month thinking this isn't good I need to upskill and get myself a little bit better you know paid in that respect um I sort of had a chat with my folks that I was my mum and, and um, family members that I was living with at the time and um, saying that I'm thinking of going back to college and everything to um you know train as a tradesman um, a lot of my family are in the trade in the um, mechanical um, sector in the industrial sort of like plumbing and heating and removing you know machinery and relocating it side um, I didn't really fancy going and doing that. Um, I fancied doing some electrical because I've always had a bit of an interest in it um, regarding it being, you know, putting a, a you know, a, a plug on the end of a cable or, um, you know, winding the car stereo back when you used to wind them into your cars and stuff. Um, so what I then did was I applied for a college at, um, in Portsmouth where I'm based. Um, and I had to sit an aptitude test uh, to get on the course um, and at the time I didn't pass it first time so I had to wait another year to do a foundation level um, which was called P e PO level one which was by EAL um, which is like a foundation in performing engineering operative so you learn basically your, uh, your skills, trades, you know, tests. So they, they give you like, um, they teach you the difference in parallel and series. So you're doing sort of like very basic electrical, you know, sort of, in, you know, work so that you learn in your maths and English alongside. And then once you've done that, then you went on to try and reset the um, trade entrance exam to get back onto the college course. I sat that, passed it, over the moon of it and then once I'd done that I then um, was in college for um, five years long probably yeah five years at college because I had to redo my uh, maths and English GCSEs to carry on going further uh, part and parcel of the um, syllabus at the time when I was there that for me to enable me to move forward I'd have to reset the GCSEs and I'll, you know, at the time when I left school, I thought I'll never use them. Oh boy, you do need them um, in that sense. So obviously once I passed that, um, I then was looking for um, an employer for an apprenticeship um, and I really struggled, <laughs> really, really mm. struggled because at that time I was 21. Um, trying to get an apprenticeship at 21 is very difficult. Um, I worked for free for a lot of people. Um, you know, did work experience for numerous companies and, you know, at the time it was just in that recession time. So they weren't really looking to take on people, um, themselves, but they were glad of my work ethic of, you know, always coming to work, turning up, you know, when they said to me, I'd always mount my own way because, 
you know, I was lucky enough that I could make my own way, you know, by transport I had of myself and, and meet them there. And, um, you know, I had a little part-time job working in a shop. Um, I can't remember what the name of it was. But anyway, um, you know, like on a Saturday and Sunday just to finance myself while I was doing it. Um, and then I think I was just at the end of my level two. And um, uh, a family member said, there's an apprenticeship going in Portland Naval Base. Do you want me to get you some more info? And I was like, yeah, definitely. You know, I'd really be interested in doing it. And um, I went and did a two-week work placement first just to, so that they, you know, I got on with them and I, they weren't wasting their time investing in taking me on. And um, I got taken on from there. Um, so my apprenticeship predominantly was in the naval base in Portsmouth in the military and the heritage sides because there's two sides of that naval base um, as the yard maintenance team. So we used to maintain all the um, you know historical buildings all the way through to the workshops that would be there for maintaining the fleet of the Royal Navy. So from um, you know learning about putting in power supplies for lathes. Um, you know, turning uh, machines, you name it. We, like, you know, we we did everything that went with it um, in respect of, um, you know, the installation and maintenance of the power and, and distribution side. Um, once I'd been in there and I was working my way through my apprenticeship, I kind of realised that I was more of a maintenance uh, electrician than I was an installation electrician. Um, and I always used to ask my boss if there was any, you know, installation jobs that I could do to get me through my MVQ at the time. And unfortunately, we didn't have that many sort of like, you know, um, installing conduit and um, basket and putting in ladder racking, uh, armoured cable. You know, I could make off an armoured cable, but it was always what was already in place. Um, it would never be installing it from you from a supply end or an isolator and it would always be something from like what was already coming out of an isolator or a junction box or whatever they had at the time. Uh, so for what I then did was I took the decision and was a bit of, I would say, a foolish decision at the time because I was in a very secure job with, um, you know, I was, I was earning quite good money for an apprentice in a company like that. Um, and I, you know, didn't have to go far. I didn't need, uh, you know, transportation because everything was in one area. So I could ride to work in the morning, which was fantastic. You know, it was a five minute bike ride from my house, um, you know, which was, you know, back then was a dream. Um, so what I did was I took the leap in faith and there was a few big projects going on in the dockyard at the time, which was, uh, working on the, um, a couple of museum refits that were happening. One of them was the Mary Rose Museum. Um, mm. And um, the main M&E contractor, which was their um, company called EIC, um, they're no longer around anymore. Unfortunately, they went um, into liquidation after the um, recession. Um, I jumped on with them helping as a, a back as an apprentice. I said, look, I'm, I'm doing a, my apprenticeship with this company. It's not fulfilling what I need to do to complete to become an electrician. Um, would you be able to help me out? And they just said, yeah, we'd be able to help you out. But, you know, you need to get this in writing from your um, college and your uh, previous employer that you're there happy to let you go and my employer said obviously we're sorry to let you go but you know if, if this is how you feel that you need to go go um, and I did and I went there and I worked for them doing I hit the ground running big time from a maintenance to go from maintenance to install is a, a big difference it's not as straightforward as a lot of people 
uh, thing. You know, when you're in a classroom, you're learning about how to do your conduit sets in a small booth, and then you're doing it in a grand, large scale of a, of a, of a new building that you know is being built around a priceless historical ship. So it's not as straightforward as just putting it on a wall and then, you know, hoping, you know, you think, oh, yeah, that looks great. It's got to go round framework that's supporting the ship and the, in the dry dock. So it, it was, um, yeah, it was an interesting learning experience. I mean, I did hit the, the, the ground running and um, I had to keep up with a lot of the um, apprentices who'd been in there doing install a lot longer. Um, but this is a company that used to take on um, 10 apprentices a, a year. Um, which was brilliant. You know, you saw a company, you know, we used to hear of these companies, but never managed to get in, on board with them. And I was just very lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Um, so I've, I did my apprenticeship, finished it off with them. Um, I think I was the first in my group to finish my apprenticeship um, with my MVQ portfolio because I was just continuously um, taking photos of any job with me that I'd done. And it's, I had this great, like, portfolio of, of um, you know photographs that I could use to make this portfolio that, that would enable me to you know qualify and 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 um, you know pass my um, MVQ assessment um, and then unfortunately um, the recession kicked in and um, we had to let people go because the building contractor who was doing we was finishing off that museum had gone bust um, so it was kind of like first in first out sort of thing uh, sorry last in first out um so i left and um i was jobless looking for a job and i hadn't i've, I've finished my mvq but i hadn't finished my am2 so i was kind of had it already paid for but i was just trying to get in with a you know a company that i could um finish it off with you know sort of so i could qualify so i was went back to the sort of job board looking for jobs and you know nothing was coming around and um i sort of went in handing cvs out on building sites hoping that someone would take me on and ironically as i was um, collecting the last of my tools on the um, last day when i was working in a dockyard um, a another museum was being refitted um, in the heritage end of the dockyard which was the uh, royal navy museum at the time so i went in there and i said look i'm, I'm only clutching at stores i don't know if you've got any um, jobs available and they said are you from portsmouth and i said yeah and they said, do you know much about the dockyard? And I said, yeah, I've worked here quite a few years. I said, I know quite a fair bit. And he said, right, um, can you be here tomorrow morning at uh, 7.30? And I said, yeah, yeah, I can be here. But, okay, meet me here at 7.30. And then I went and worked for um, a company called uh, Marlin um, Electrical Engineers and Contractors, which were doing, had won the um, contract to do the uh, install and fit of the plant rooms and electrical installation of power, data, um, security of this new um, museum that had been uh, selected to be have its um, up, you know, upkeep and um, upkeep and renewal of all the uh, power and lighting and building structures. And obviously, that was a, a, a grade uh, two listed building uh, that we were doing the work on, which I was familiar with with my years of working in there. So I could help and advise them about where they needed to obtain permits, drill in, and my local knowledge, you know, with what I'd learned in there helped them massively. Um, that then enabled me to finish my MVQ uh, properly and I then got it all signed off. I could then go and sit my uh, AM2. Um, I did my AM2. I didn't pass it the first time. I think that was more nerves because I was so worried about keeping a job at the time. Um, what aspect of the AM2 did you not pass, if you don't mind me asking? 
it was, believe it or not, the test and the inspect. And the reason I didn't pass the test and inspect, I hadn't done an awful lot of testing and inspecting because we used to have um, guys in the company who that was their sole job. That they would just inspect and test. They would go, um, you know, they would they would inspect it and, and then do the testing of the work. And I'd always say, like, oh, can I go and help out? And they're like, no, 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 you're just going to be doing metal munching for the rest of your life. And I was like, I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life. I want to be doing what he's doing. Um, Mm-hmm. And um, that was what that's all I failed it on. And then um, I came across um, a book by a guy called Chris Kitchener. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Uh, he does um, electrical books um, like Brian Scadden. Right. Uh, read them books. Wow, what a big help they were. Um, I went into the college and asked them if they could help me out. And, um, you know, they helped me as best they could with um, you know, teaching me the, um, the fundamental basic skills of testing um, and um, yeah I, second time I went there passed it and um, yeah it was over the moon with it absolutely over the moon you mentioned then about the naval bases um, yes. and stuff like that what did you were you kind of part of the team in terms of the navy or well marines or whoever whoever it was were you treated as if you were a member of the not the army, but the navy. Um, no, you're not. You're you're a contractor. When you're in the, um, there is the way it works. It's kind of like a building site. You have like a tier one, tier two, and you know that's how. If you look at the navy as the uh, main, you know, tier one contractor, that is who your client is. Um, so you do work alongside them in the respect of um, if you're doing work on the ships, uh, and the ship to shore supplies, you, you do, you, you know, you do work with them. Um, but no, predominantly the, my main company that we were working on behalf of was um, a company called um, BA Systems, who were the main, um, I would say, the main figurehead in the dockyard. Um, interaction with the actual um, MOD themselves um, was not very um, all, all the time. It was more BA we would predominantly dealing with. Mm. Were there any, obviously you say, obviously it's uh, Ministry of Defence, so was there any particular challenges that you faced on a daily basis? Yes, there was. Um, one of the things that I have always been very fortunate of having is a good work ethic in the sense of I was very good at being there when they told you to be there at a certain time. So my timekeeping was always good in the sense of we, you know, when you come into the base, um, you have to be in at a certain time so that you allowed the civilian traffic in first. Um, otherwise, after a certain time, because it being an active naval base, you have marching troops that go around on the base. So if you're behind one of them in a car, you can't overtake. You have to wait until they either go left or right or over to where they need. So if you're behind a marching troop going, you know, in your 10 minutes late for work, that 10 minutes may be turned into half an hour. So it, it does mm-hmm. that. And also, Getting checked in and out of the base, it was quite interesting sometimes that, you know, you, if you, you know, you're going out of the base in your car, they would pull you over, you'd have to open up all your compartments in your, in your vehicle to make sure that you had not taken anything that belonged to the MOD. Um, like, um, you know, if you've got a pair of overalls or a pair of boots, they had to stay on the base. You couldn't take them home. They had to stay there because they belonged to the MOD. 
it, it, that's the sort of things that we had to challenge with. So, and, and especially when um, we used to have a lot of terrorism as well, um, attacks, you know, and the height end of security levels would go up quite a lot, which is quite um, cool, but also quite interesting to see how within cyber base how it's protected. So obviously you say you went on from part, you completed your apprenticeship with another company. Where has that taken you since? So obviously um, I, I stayed with Marlin for um, a few years and then I um, left because they had no more work at the time. They were running out of work. So what I, I did was I went and subcontracted like most guys on agencies through building sites um, doing new builds and domestic. I've never done any domestic until I'd left the dockyard um, and the uh, companies that I'd worked for who subcontracted it. So I went and did some new build uh, domestic sites, hated them um, just purely because it was just chuck it in, get it in and away you go. And I was just used to come home spitting feathers about it going, oh, this isn't my work I want to do. I don't want to do it. Um, I mean, predominantly, I do that now running my own business. I do domestic but um, and commercial and industrial, but um, I, I don't lower my standards in the sense of some of the new build contractors that I was working for. It was, you know, sockets that looked like Stevie Wonder had put them in. They're all different heights and all over the place. And you just look at them. It was just embarrassing more than anything. Um, and then um, I was very lucky that um, a BMS company were looking for a subcontractor at the time and then I jumped and shipped with them, um, did quite a few plant rooms with them in some of the local hospitals that were being done. I uh, really, really enjoyed that and um, I then also went and worked for a company as a, uh, it used to be Wastewater actually, which are down in for Southern Water in Portsmouth. Mm. Um, for a little bit, um, just basically um, putting a conduit up in some of their pump houses and stuff. Nothing, nothing ex- ex- you know, special. Anything. It was just predominantly basic electrical contracting. Um, once that had finished, I kind of wanted to start looking at, you know, getting on a bit more money. So then I went and did uh, my uh, two, three, nine, one. I went and sat my T391 and passed it first time, which I was really chuffed with. From not passing my AM2 uh, first time to passing my T391, um, yeah, I passed that first time, and I still maintain that's probably one of the hardest and, and best course I've, I've done in, since I've um, you know I've started this journey as an uh, electrician. Mm. I think it's, it really shows the metal of sorts the men from the boys. So let's put it from that. You mentioned you did um, some agency work. So obviously one of the things about agency work is it can be very hit and miss for a contractor when they when they hire agency. Is there any advice you would offer for people considering or currently are working as agency workers? Um, the only thing I would advise on is um, do your homework on what you're actually going to be doing within the scope of your limit. A couple of guys here we had I worked alongside with and weren't fully qualified electricians and who were just mates but still earning the electrician fully qualified rate which kind of upset me a little bit in some ways but the guys were fantastic to work with um, you know they really could do you know they just didn't have the other paperwork to accompany them um, the other advice would be is um, you know if you are going to take up doing agency work try and do it yourself 
as a limited company, which is what I was told to do myself as I started off, um, because they then pay you properly, not through an umbrella company. Um, I found that worked a lot better for myself. I'm not saying it's going to work better for everyone. Um, that's how I, I reckon mm. my advice would be to people if they're going to do it is if you can set up a, a, a limited company and then, you know, you know, it's better for you in the sense of when you're doing your tax returns and, you know, your end of year books and everything, it's a lot easier to get paperwork through that than doing it for an umbrella company. Sure. So you say you eventually went out and set up on your own. What made you want to do that? Well, there's one or two options. I had no job um, and I had a, a, a few quid in my pocket at the time, not uh, not abundancy, but I, I was just getting fed up of um, turning up to do jobs um, for people um, on sites and, and, and also in domestic properties. And it was always like, you know, we're going to just chuck in the cheapest gear as possible and, and just whatever the quickest job is. And I used to, I'm going to sound like a bit of a, a hothead here, but always falling out with the contractor going, why are we, what, what, what make, why are we doing this? People are paying good money for this. Why not? You know, and I thought I could do a better job. And, um, that's why I went out on my own and I, I went out and boy, did I have a big culture shock. Um, I thought I would just be go to the suppliers, get the gear go and do it and that was it and I made some very um, bad decisions when I started off in business um, you know I, I was I don't think I charged enough when I first started out um, I, I think I was just more worried about you know, making sure I had continuous work and not actually appreciating the um, value of what electrical uh, contractors are actually worth um, you know I, I think that was the biggest shock and but you know, as as time went on, I picked up um, a lot of jobs in marinas because where I live is near the sea, the seaside. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, local uh, boatyards and marinas. And obviously, from my previous experience in the uh, marine and water sports industry, I um, used that to utilise to get into these areas. And um, then I was looking up, you know, about you know installing different bits of kit in marine environments. So a lot of the stuff that I was doing a lot more homework on products. So, for instance, using a um, have like the aluminium lights, and they're no good for a marine environment. They just rot out within a year. Um, so it was looking at putting polycarbonate bit light fittings up. Okay, they're not going to last as long as a um, you know for like impact damage, but for a um, you know corrosive environment there a lot better they probably last 10 years whereas a you know um, metal like is only going to last a year before the bracket rots out so it, it was really good I, once I got in with some of these companies um, you know we were doing a lot more install and maintenance and reactive maintenance putting in power supplies and pontoons um, you know put wiring up new uh, winches for retrieving the boats up and down slipways Mm. You know, it, it was great. I had a really, really, you know, I, I still do have a really good time doing it. Um, I obviously was with, at the time was with a member of the governing body, um, which I then joined another member in governing body, the ECA. Um, so from the sort of six years, it's seven years I've been going. It was, it was, I was, you know, we were doing really well, and you know, and I, I was really chuffed with the fact that. You know, from the time when I started, when I was told initially when I started, 
my apprenticeship, you won't be an electrician because you need to get X, Y and Z behind you to then having a business where you have two guys working for you, a couple of vans, you know, you've got CPS schemes that you've always wanted to achieve to get to, like being a member of the NIC as an approved contractor, then joining, becoming a member of the uh, Electrical Contractors Association. Uh, you know, it was, it was fantastic. It's a, it was a really, it was a really good time. Did you find any any aspects of the marina work particularly challenging in terms of the, the design and install? I would say yes, every day was a school day because I'd only been taught what I've known in the dockyard and working for other contractors. So for me to get in and going in and designing it, installing it myself, um, I spent more, I made some mistakes, 100% I made some mistakes. You know, um, first off I put, um, you know, I hadn't, I'd used um, galvanised conduit for um, in a workshop which is right near the waterfront and they were, it was rusting within a year or two. So at my expense, I took it down and I had to put stainless up instead um, because it was the only way that I, you know, they, they, they paid me to do the job, so they wanted it done properly. Um, and then obviously using IP-graded uh, weatherproof sockets and I didn't, I just used metal clad sockets because that's what I classed would be last longer in a, in a workshop. Um, it's, it was a big, I would say, learning curve because I spent more time reading up about marine environments and locations within the, the regs book and utilising that to do, I would say, a more thorough job than what I had been doing previously. Because um, in the dockyards, you do everything to military spec, which is a complete different ballgame. But when you come out and you're doing stuff in the civilian side, it's exactly the same. You're just not using specific military, you know, specified stuff. It was more, but they would they wouldn't care if it was in for two years, three years in an NOD because it would get ripped out and started again. Whereas a local um, boat builder who's having his workshop redone, the reason he's having it done is because it's going to see him out for the next 15, 20 years. He's not going to want to get it touched or redone, is he? Because he's paying out for all that money. Um, so yeah, no, yeah, no, I can see where you're coming from. What what sounded interesting to me is obviously you mentioned about like doing winches for, I assume like jet skiing or whatever was going on on a on a lake or the ocean or whatever. Is there any particular like considerations you have to make with those? Um, yeah, I mean you've got to have a thermal overload for them for one, um, and you've got to make sure that the motor that you're having installed for the winch is compatible with lifting tonnage because obviously boats are getting bigger and faster with bigger engines on and they've got to be able to cope with paying out that winch line up and down a slipway on a um, on a motor and um, you know so there's a lot it's not just a simple case of right we're going to put a motor a winch and a, a brake and we're, and a, a contactor in and, and wire it x y and z and away we go there's a lot more to it because of the Mm. thermal constraints of the brake being in action from the it being pain up and down you know it it wears out on the on the brake pads which then has a knock on the effect so it's about selecting the right i mean the one the last one i fitted um was was a uh, 14 ton one and that was about 40 odd grand just for the motor Mm. (laughs) did you know it's 
Did you find they were Sorry. typically um, soft starts, direct onlines? Were there anything specific that you know is specified for your, the clients in that area? Um, a lot of them wanted direct online. Um, a lot of the people who was doing the work for were actually marine electrical engineers, believe it or not. Um, they but they specialised in ships, you know, not all yachts. So they understood about the principles uh, about it. So a lot of what they I was doing, I'd learned from them because that's what they designed these winches around. It was nothing I didn't, I, as I say, I can't take all the credit for it because it wasn't. I worked alongside learning from them what they wanted. So we used to do a lot of um, direct online. Um, it depend, I think it, realistically, it would depend on what they, their budget could afford, really, um, because a lot of these um, clubs, marinas and stuff are all um, committee run by members. So it depends on how much they can actually afford. Mm, okay. You've, you've set up on your own. You've started winning clients. How have you maintained those clients and works going forward? I have no social life. Let's put it that way. Um, no, I, jo- I joke aside. It, it, it's hard. Um, I, 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 you know, I've been sat indoors. I've literally just got in our soaps and, and, you know, you do get phoned and it's like, you need to come back because we want this doing and this is not working as well so you know you've just got to be very flexible um but for me to maintain what i've won and kept is just being honest with people you know if you can do the work do it if you can't just tell them honesty mm. wins you so much work you know there's no point trying to be the guy who can do everything who but can only do certain things that's that's where i think you've got to draw the line um and you know and also just just be truthful with the um you know, timescales, if you think it's going to take you three months to do a project, tell them, you know, they can always get someone else in to do it. You know, it, it, you're not fixed. You know, you, you may be spent years working with them, but no one's loyal in this game, unfortunately. It's, it's, you do have your loyal clients and you're very few and far-fetched between, but I think a lot of the time, a lot of people, it's all down to price and how long it's going to take. I'm very lucky in the sense that the people who I work with, I'm, I'm honest with them and I keep them at an arm's distance, if that makes sense. I don't interact with them socially outside. I just keep it predominantly work. And if I see them out and about, I'll wave and say hello and, that, you know, to be polite. But I don't, you know, go and play golf or anything like that with them. Mm. Um, I, don't, I keep myself completely, you know, separate from them. And that's what, what works for me and that's what's kept me going. Mm. So are there any particular aspects you enjoy about running your own company and even probably wider question of the electrical industry? I enjoy, one thing I do enjoy about running my own business is um, the free reign of selective of equipment and learning about new products that are out there all the time. Um, when I left the um, dockyard, I, we'd always use RS components for a lot of the kit that we've used and uh, you know that's served me really well because a lot of the stuff that when I am doing contacts and relays and stuff like that I know what I'm looking for um, whereas you go into um, some suppliers now go in there and you say I need this this and this and a young lad behind the desk looks at you scratching his head going what's one of those so I think that's been one of the good things is using my knowledge that I can pass on to the you know the young lads and lasses who work at suppliers um you know to help them learn their product knowledge i'm not saying i'm an expert in it but 
I'm a bit sad. I do look online through, um, you know, websites, looking through bits and pieces, seeing what new bits of kits coming out. I enjoy that aspect. Um, I, I, I do enjoy when I get a job done that, you know, when we look at it and think, oh, I've done that, you know, you can stand back and think, oh, any, every job I do, I always stand back and think, I've done that. And, you know, where I work on my own, it's, it's quite a satisfying job that all that, um, you know, work up and planning and preparation that gets you to where you need to be in your own products is, it's, it's, it's great. It, it, if it's putting in a socket in, you know, you know, with a bit of containment on it or putting up a new light fitting, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever job you do, and you do it to the best of your ability and, it's, and it looks great and you're happy with it. That's a real rewarding factor for me, I think. Is there anything else you particularly enjoy about the industry? I, I enjoy every aspect of it in the sense of, of um, since social media has come out is meeting really interesting people who are in this that's what i enjoy the most out of it listening to other people's backgrounds and information and where the how they got to where they are and where they are with their journey and you know have you ever thought about getting in this and and then you know upskilling um i think also you know the way that uh, power distribution boards are changing now i mean you can remotely monitor them phenomenally mm-hmm. To think you can do that with the, um, you have to bear with me, apologies, it's the Schneider Acti, Acti 9. Bars, is it? Acti yeah. 9, yeah. That's it, that's the one. Um, you know, I, I've not fitted any myself yet, but I've um, sat and listened to the rep, uh, the suppliers talk about them, and, you know, it's phenomenal how technology is changing so rapidly that the way we're being able to do stuff is phenomenal, absolutely mm. phenomenal. Um, yeah, quite. Quite fortunate in the water industry that typically Schneider is specified, particularly obviously like the Acti 9 and the Isobar range. Oh, phenomenal! That that would not surprise me. Um, a lot of what I used to fit, well, I, I still do fit, is because um, it's what I cut my teeth with. Um, is uh, uh, Eaton? That's yeah, I like Eaton. They're they're a good brand. Um, yeah, they've they've always been around, and that's that's who I. Like that's my go-to, but now I'm delving in the, you know, sort of way of starting to fit Schneider um, because a lot of clients are now specifying it on my jobs that I'm doing, uh, not to the scale of what you do, but you know, the uh, small-scale stuff that I do. It's um, it's starting to be I've got a bit more of a presence about it. I mean, it's always been around. I mean, from the days of when Merlin Duran and um, mm. all the way, you know, through to Square D and what it is now and everything. I mean. You know, it's always been that for a lot of my um, sort of like MOD work that I've done up to date to um, from what I have done is they predominantly, you know, it always used to be um, Eton. And when I started doing work on military bases, um, on army garrison and camps, a lot of everything they spec is Schneider. So it's, you know, it depends on what, whichever way you go about it. Mm. Yeah. And one of the things you mentioned earlier was obviously about learning uh, in your spare time i understand you're doing an engineering degree is that correct yes i am yeah i am um, I, I i want to be in a position in the next few years that i can work my way through to get my chartered engineer yeah that's what, what i'm studying for so what was what's the particular reasoning for aspiring to that accreditation 
when I started, without getting too sentimental, when I started my apprenticeship, I was told I wouldn't be an electrician because I, you know, I couldn't do basic maths and English and, and science. And I think a lot of it is just to prove to myself that I can achieve what I want to, you know, anything when I put my mind to it. Um, and I've always been brought up to better, to always think, you know, to always better yourself, always, you know, if you, if you can do it, there's nothing that can stop you from going further you know, within your, you know, your capability. And I think to me, I mean, I'm really severely dyslexic, like really, really badly. And I, I can't do spelling or math. And thank God for my partner, who's a teacher. Um, uh, she's dyslexic as well. But, you know, we, we both sit and go through each other's work and we, you know, we spot something that's not quite right. And, you know, can you just double check and everything else like that? And I think why... I, I wanted to do it so much is just to prove to myself that I am capable of doing what you know I am capable of going further because a lot of the people I worked alongside with were like nah I don't want to do this and I'm like well why don't you want to do it you let's, let's you know you should always want to you know aim to hire to you know achieve better nah no nah, I'm happy doing this mate I'm happy putting this up and you know, they're always moaning about how they hated it and they never wanted to do anything to change. They just wanted to moan, moan, moan. And I thought, I can't, can't be doing this the rest of my life. I need mm. to, you know, achieve the better. And it, for me, it's more of a personal. I think that's the, the, the bottom line of it is, um, Gary, is it's just a personal goal, really. Sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfectly reasonable to have those. Obviously, likewise for myself, it was the same for me. And it was it was a personal milestone. Um I think obviously you mentioning dyslexia, um, there are obviously quite a few. I remember during my time in my apprenticeship, there were a few uh, lads who were suffering with that. Um, is there any any tips you could offer as to how to hopefully conquer that? And obviously you're doing higher education. So how, how do you manage that during that learning and coursework, etc.? So... First things first, you need to get properly diagnosed that you're dyslexic. There's all right people telling you you may be dyslexic, but you actually have to be diagnosed to enable you to get extra time and um, help with your work. I mean, there's loads of things you can get out there with um, with, with your dyslexia, like grants for university. They'll help you with, like, um, if you need computer equipment, they'll help you with it. They'll help you with um, someone sitting with you while you're doing um, exams to help you know read the questions to you and stuff that's where I'd start with first make sure you get properly diagnosed that you are dyslexic um, second tip um, I can give you is record anything that you're doing as long as you tell them that you're that you're recording it and then you can go back over um, any like you know recording and because you can learn it in your own time you know like you can sit there play back record sit there play back record and you can until it with, with with me especially with dyslexia it's repetition it's you know repeating the cycle over and over again if you learn to play um the guitar a hundred thousand times you're going to be good at it aren't you you know it's this it's the same with 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 the learning um ability mm-hmm. you can sit there record and go over it and over it and over it and over it um you can do because when you're being taught something with your tutor or your lecturer or however you know you do your, your training 
you're they're only there for a certain amount of time so you can't go back over i mean it, it depends on the lecture and then they go back over it again but i found with recording personally myself taking it away digest it in my own way work it out if i'm not sure the great thing is now with this modern day and age we can go on the internet and look it up and further investigate it more you know that's that's one way i'd look at it um mm-hmm. third third tip is um if you struggle with your reading and writing um there are th- aids now that you can put on um literature like um specific colors that you overlay on um wording that make um content font stand out more mm-hmm. um so if you've got um like a sheet with uh white white you know white paper with black uh, writing on you overlay for me it's um green so i overlay a green clear color to go over the top of it and it makes all the writing stand out more bolder and black so it's not all like jumping around the page like it usually is so i can therefore focus and you know pointing you know with my line that i you know that i have on there so i can follow the the um, paragraph down that's always worked for me i mean i've got one in my regs book which which basically is it's sandwiched at the front and when i'm reading a certain section of the regs book i can lay it right over the top of it i can sit there I'll read it and it, it's it's more clarity and makes sense for me to do it that way mm. yeah no it's certainly admirable and you know the fact that you've progressed to an engineering degree having this issue and obviously being told up front like you were that you, you'll never make an electrician um to progress as you, as you have is is really commendable and you know if anyone listening can take something from that is that you know don't let someone kind of put you down and everybody can work at it work at what they've got i think the problem is there's too many haters in this industry that are always negative there's always people oh you'll never do this you'll never do that that's brilliant if you think that crack on but you know i i don't surround myself in negativity i always surround myself in positivity because i think with 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 this industry there's you know there's there's always a lot of hate not a lot of love anymore mm. towards it you know that's my view on it yeah so talking slightly more positively then what would you like to see introduced into the industry um i think apprentice longer apprenticeships if possible um oh that's why i didn't say when i started my apprenticeship i had to do um uh, a fundamental year of, of um, I had to build a toolbox and then mm. make some tools and set squares when I first started doing it in the naval base and maybe if college training you know like maybe they had like longer uh, period training you know where guys did like um, a year of mate you know like in, in like two years in a workshop before they do the fundamental learning practicality of it that's what I'd like to see, just longer apprenticeships. Because uh, mm-hmm. I think now they're about three years now. Their apprenticeship is a three-year apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd like to see that. And also um, I'd like to see I'd like to see more, um, I'd say, female engineers in higher levels than what we, we currently see at the moment. Yeah, I've... I, I... We literally just had a uh, episode with Karen Boom, um, and we we discussed this a, a little bit there. In that, I, th- I think there is a change coming. I, certainly, like I, I've said previously on the large projects I'm involved with, women are becoming more of a presence. Um, 
and you know they are certainly adding value to the projects i think on the maybe potentially on the domestic level i think it might be slightly behind because there aren't the the schemes from the main contractors actually supporting um the development of women in the industry um but i'm hoping that in time it can filter through and maybe hopefully in say 10 years time we'll be looking at a much higher percentage of women in the industry i think so too i mean i think this whole um stereo you know it's a it's a male dominated um industry it's not you know there's there's it's room for everyone to join in and jump on and and learn from anyway i mean there's the amount of um female plumbers i've seen who are out on these social media platforms that are promoting their, their work and sharing their ability and the support they get from those it is absolutely fascinating to see them and i think i would like to see that more of the electrical but not necessarily more on the domestic side i'd like to see some more of the um female electricians coming into the commercial industrial sector you know them doing um you know just showing what their ability is of doing that because you know it's this it's a great opportunity now especially with the technology that we've got that's around us now where we can grow and learn and show with you know with the internet social media um youtube everything that's out there that you can just you know promote you for what you do you know mm, yeah definitely um well it's been a fascinating chat um and i appreciate you coming on i do have one final question what's your favorite movie well um <laughs> i'm a star wars fan um quite a big star wars fan so i would say empire strikes back from star wars oh, so you, you've favorite. gone you, you've gone for the classic star wars yes yeah, yeah definitely any particular reason why why that one speaks out to you? Was it the classic Luke moment, or it's, it's, I'm going to sound really horrible saying this? I like it that the baddies actually win for a change. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but the bad guys don't win in the movies too often, but unfortunately they win in real life too often. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah, to see them win in a film's great, but in real life, yeah, it's too often. But uh, no, that's it. It's it's a great film. It's just. You know, it was when it. Well, I, mean, I didn't see it when it came out in the uh, cinema. But I saw the uh, remastered ones on um, on the uh, videos and DVDs, and it's just a. I just uh, you know, growing up with it from a young age, Star Wars, and it's just fantastic to see. Um, you know that film. I can watch it over and over again. It's that. That's how sad I am. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Tom, for your time today, and thank you everyone for listening. <laughs>